The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So tonight I wanted to speak about um, planning. Does anybody have a mind that likes to plan? (laughs) I've titled this talk, The Papancha of Planning. Are you familiar with the term papancha? Some of you are, some of you aren't. It's a poly term that is usually translated as conceptual proliferation or discursive proliferation or the diversifying tendencies of mind. You know that mind that goes on and on and on and on, just starts proliferating out, associating, and perpetuating more and more thoughts. This papancha of planning often manifests as a kind of anxiety where we're uncertain about the future and so we try to plan what it will be like. John Lennon said, life is what happens when you are making other plans. We miss something when we're lost in a future of our own creation. Planning is one of the most common ways that mental restlessness can arise because restlessness can take a physical form, you know, that kind of agitation in the body but very often we experience restlessness in the mind where the thoughts just keep circling around and when planning slides well beyond the practical needs to plan a particular activity or an event or to prepare for something that is actually going to happen, then it's very likely the hindrance of restlessness. How often do you find that you're caught by a fantasy of a future that may or may not happen? How many times do you plan something that doesn't actually turn out to be the way that you planned? We can sometimes be surprised at how frequently our minds go into thoughts of the future, fantasies, plans of the future. Beginning meditators are often shocked, maybe even embarrassed, by how frequently the mind um, moves away from present moment experience to instead dwell in thoughts of something that may not even be real. There's a quote by an ancient Tibetan master that says, do not rule over imaginary kingdoms of endlessly proliferating possibilities. And I like that quote just because it's kind of reassuring to think that hundreds of years ago in Tibet, they suffered from imagination too of proliferating possibilities occupying the mind in meditation. This is not just a challenge that is caused by the contemporary lifestyle or the technological demands of the way that we live in the Bay Area. It may be, though, that we've refined the hindrance of restlessness with all the technologies and trainings that are associated with planning. You know, you can even be a planning professional. Actually, maybe some of you are planning professionals. There are lots of planning professionals. You know, you can plan lots of things that, um, that can actually be very helpful if it occurs in a certain context. 
But what happens when we sit down to meditate and we're still planning? That's where we look and see, have we lost control over the mind? With so many aspects of our, ex- of our experience these days well-planned, organized, we can easily miss the peacefulness, the simplicity, that quality of presence that comes when we're not planning anything and we're just feeling a breath, feeling the quality of our minds in the present moment, sensing present moment experience, meeting whatever is happening with a calm and clear attention. It can be very useful to uh, feel, to recognize, to know what is this experience of planning to notice this tendency to try to control the outcome through the imagination of trying to imagine how it will be, how we'll respond to it, how things should be, and try to create control the conditions so that things happen the way that we want. One of the most important questions with planning is to simply ask ourselves how frequently we are aware that we're planning when we're planning, and to try to encourage that mindfulness of planning. Are we stuck in a habitual planning mode, caught and entranced by the content of the plans? Or can we, at will, shift our attention to something else? In meditation, that might simply be the sensations of the breath or observe the sensations of the body sitting. The idea of planning can be very pragmatic. It's very useful. But as we observe the planning process or the habit of planning, it can be interesting to notice that many of our plans simply never happen. How practical is that? A lot of our plans are not just preparation for action, but they're the expression of anxiety or restlessness. It's the movement of mind that simply hasn't discovered yet how to rest, how to be at ease and equanimous and present for things as they're unfolding. This urge to control experience can inhibit the basic ability to experience life as it unfolds. But some plans are very useful, so I think we have to assess that usefulness of planning sort of on a case-by-case basis. And to do that, we first have to recognize and notice when we're planning. In the meditation, sometimes it can be helpful, it can sort of be fun and humorous to count our plans. How many things did you plan in this last sitting? If you notice one, if you notice a tendency to plan different things, you can notice that. You can also notice how many times you've planned the same event or the same conversation or the same activity or how you will appear or how you will be. 
when we go into retreat, there's not a lot to plan, right? Okay, I'm sitting, now I'm going to plan, I'm going to walk, and then I'm walking, I'm going to plan, I'm going to sit. You know, that's about the gist, that's about the whole of the activity. Sitting, walking, sitting, walking, lunch. Can't really plan that because you don't have control over the menu. So eating, you don't plan. Sitting, walking, sitting, walking. There's really nothing that needs our plan. I mean, you can plan when you're going to take a shower because it can happen in the morning, it can happen in the evening, but not really exciting. You know, really, it's not much for the mind. And so what often happens is the mind will pick up something else in our lives and plan it. Something that we're worried about, something that we're concerned about that is disturbing to us in some way. And so then we plan how we'll respond to it, how it should be, what we can do, how all of the things around it. And then we keep planning it and planning it again. And we plan it with different outcomes and different scenarios. So when I go into retreat and the mind starts to plan something, I count one the first time, then the second time, two, the second time, the third time, three. Usually, usually I set the limit at three. Nothing needs to be planned much more than three times. Beyond that, it's always restlessness, for me anyway. You might find you plan a fourth time, and then that's really the plan that sticks. But I find, eh, after three, cut it off. I have a teacher who once said, if I think a thought five times and I'm not learning anything new from it, I don't think it anymore. It's a very uh, powerful capacity that we have to decide not to think something to say, okay, I'm done with that one. And I think sometimes we have to put some boundaries around our planning. And you can choose when you're doing a meditation how many times you'll permit that thought to arise in your mind. And then set a boundary and say, enough. No, I've settled that and set it aside. I often, um, in a retreat situation, will remind myself to make no plans because it's very easy in the silence when there's so little stimulation to plan the meditation. Even worse, to plan the results of the meditation. (laughs) How I'll feel, how I'll be, maybe even when I'll get enlightened. Believe me, we cannot plan this. (laughs) We cannot know this. And whatever we plan in our meditation, or for that matter in many things, we can then set up an imagined experience that we compare ourselves to and very often then find ourselves disappointed because our experiences don't always conform to our plans. But what's the essential delusion in planning? What's really the problem with planning? I think one of the main problems with planning isn't just that it agitates the mind, keeping us from the depth of concentration because we're busy thinking. I think one of the primary um, delusions or problems that are inherent in planning is that it disguises the aspects of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Anicca is the Pali term for impermanence, 
Dukkha is the Pali term for suffering or unsatisfactoriness, and anatta is the term for not-self. These three characteristics are not recognized when we are engaged in a planning mode. In terms of this impermanence, anicca, the tendency with planning is to cling to a concept of the future, how things will be. And so we divorce ourselves from the truth of moment-by-moment change. How are things arising and passing? How are they increasing and decreasing? How are they changing? Because we're imagining a concept of a result in the future. We can miss the experience of present change. We might feel that we can control the future only if we can plan it well enough to account for all our options. And then planning can sometimes get a little out of hand, and we might find that we're not just planning projects that might need a little bit of structure to organize them, but impossible questions like, what am I going to do for the whole rest of my life? We might even try to plan things that are completely unknown to us, like what's going to happen the next time we meditate? This is one of the dangers of some of the concentration practices, which I dearly love and have tremendous respect for. Sometimes not people who, don't, who aren't yet proficient with the concentration and don't really understand how it operates plan This happened in the last sitting, so I'm going to make this happen in the next sitting. I plan what will happen in the future, which is very different than simply putting together the causes and conditions for the mind to deepen in concentration and to grow in wisdom. When we plan our experience, then we're putting ourselves into a concept and trying to control that experience. These fantasies simply do not recognize the truth of impermanence, of change. And then we can feel disappointed when things just don't turn out the way that we have expected them. While we're expecting a future to be a certain way, we might miss the wonder of what's actually happening now. What are the opportunities that are open to us? in this present moment. Planning also masks the the dimension of dukkha or suffering or unsatisfactoriness, especially when planning comes in the form of pleasant fantasy. This disguises or, or makes hard to see the experience of unpleasant feeling in the present moment. And it's not uncommon when the mind goes into a state of of sadness or grief or fear or when we're annoyed by something or even when there's physical pain in the body. Sometimes the response to that is pleasant fantasy. And some of those pleasant fantasies are just planning various things that will give us pleasure in the future. There are many feelings that are painful in our lives and 
often we don't want to open to those. It takes courage to feel the painful experiences in our lives. Sometimes we then do things to avoid those painful feelings. And in daily life, we often distract ourselves through entertainments and busyness and various activities. But when we sit down to meditate, there's very little in the structure of meditation to distract ourselves except our minds. And so that's where we have to look. What is our mind doing to distract ourselves from deeply knowing the first noble truth that conditioned things are suffering? Conditioned things are unsatisfactory. When the pursuit of planning gets out of hand, it can be helpful to apply some very simple reminders. And the simplest one is to just pause for a moment. Just pause. Take a breath. Interrupt the flow of that restless thinking. And to recognize this is restlessness. And restlessness is suffering. We can then investigate what is underneath that restlessness. What is fueling that suffering. Perhaps there is something that we're not feeling. And we can encourage ourselves to open just a bit to that unpleasant experience. Whether it's sadness in the mind or pain in the body. We can bring attention to the unpleasant experience and we may find that we'll experience a deeper peace by being with the unpleasant experience than any plans or any fantasy could ever bring to us. The attempt to avoid pain actually brings us greater pain than the experience of just opening a bit at a time to it. As we open a little bit, our capacity to receive the experience, pleasant or painful, increases and then increases and then increases until we find that the mind can be at peace, whether the experience is pleasant or the experience is painful. And then that need for compulsive planning falls away and we can find a deep rest with experience as it unfolds. Planning also disguises the characteristic of not-self or anatta. And this might be very obvious when you look at the content of plans. How many times have you planned how you will appear? What you will say? What somebody will think about you? How you will succeed? Often we construct this very sense of self by imagining how we will be in the future or planning how we will be. Sometimes we'll sit in meditation or go on a retreat and decide, I'm going to change. And we plan the new me. And then imagine ourselves emerging from that retreat as this new me reconstructing this concept of self. Sometimes we create 
a sense of ourselves just through repeating a story of who we are and how we'll be. Even though it's a fiction, it seems to provide this sense that we are somebody who is going somewhere and has a somewhat predictable or controllable or comprehensible future. What would happen if we let that go and just let experience unfold without the need for the story of self and without the need to control the outcome or the future? When we work with obsessive planning, mindfulness is very important because we have to be mindful of something before we can even consider abandoning it or setting it aside. And I recommend not judging ourselves for planning, not judging ourselves for restlessness, to kind of get used to this phenomenon in a way, not to be passive around it, because I think it's important to work diligently with it, but to recognize that the hindrance of restlessness is one of the last to go on this path. Not at the first stage of enlightenment, not at the second stage of enlightenment, not at the third stage of enlightenment. Restlessness is one of the fetters that falls away only with final enlightenment at the fourth stage of the arhat. So chances are most, peop- most of us still have a little restlessness and may for a little while. We don't know. Maybe you'll get enlightened right away completely. But for most of us, it's a very gradual path of development. And restlessness is just simply one of the last fetters to go. It can even erupt in when the, after the mind is deeply calm and concentrated, and it can erupt even when the mind has been clear for a while. And then we can use the calmness and we can use the clarity to more fully understand how restlessness functions, what it is. We recognize it. We might even name it, this is restlessness. We don't, we can don't need to judge ourselves, but we can resolve to not entertain the restlessness, but to simply return to in meditation, our meditation object, or in any experience, present, we can return to present moment awareness and actually connect with what's real rather than the fantasy of the future. There may be feelings underneath the planning that we can explore, anxiety, insecurity, fear, the discomfort of not knowing how things will be. And then we can feel these qualities or these feelings in the mind. We might recognize a kind of contraction or rigidity or fixedness that is associated with planning and feel the effort that it takes to structure that imagined future, and to sustain these thoughts. We can understand what about this future fantasy hooks us, what entrances us. We can plan almost anything. It can be as grand as our whole lives or as useless as what somebody might say to us. It can be as mundane as the shopping list or as subconscious as what foot will step up on the stair that I approach. When things are pleasant, the tendency is 
to and when things are pleasant and we're rest and there's a restlessness in the mind and we're not mindful of that the tendency is to plan how to get more and it goes to pleasure fantasies when things are unpleasant we generally plan how to have less of it if our if we're on a retreat we might still get in caught in planning by experiencing a deep meditation and experiencing meditative bliss but then the mindfulness weakens and planning rushes in what do we fantasize about ah the next retreat let's have it be a long one maybe a 3 month course or maybe i'll go join a monastery or ordain or try out go to thailand and live in a cave but then a little while later our concentration gets sluggish and then we think we start to fantasize about what packing and going home the planning mind can shift quickly from from pleasant to painful to wanting more to wanting less to one plan or another and it can go into great detail that's actually rather um amazing the um detail that the mind can um can plan and if we tire of planning our own lives well we can start planning other people's lives if i ever see if i see that um tendency happening it's i really have to cut it off you know nobody wants me to plan their life it can be interesting to watch the absurdity of the planning mind sometimes and then have kind of a good laugh and that humor that sense of this has really gotten out of hand this is really absurd helps us to set it aside because it takes a certain resolve to let go of the restless thinking and to be willing to begin again and again thousands of times the basic forces behind the planning mind are none other than greed hate and delusion this greed or desire can manifest as shopping fantasies fantasies about cooking or food sex or romance basically anything that we want or get the hatred the the planning that's rooted in hatred often manifests as revenge fantasies getting even thinking about that snide remark that we wish we had made justification um uh um oh this it can go on the delusion fantasies often take the form of our self image how we'll present ourselves how we'll be seen will others like us what we'll wear what we'll say what we'll do all of it i i like to label as planning dukkha because i like to highlight the aspect of suffering in it the aspect of unsatisfactoriness in the restless mind so that when planning arises i recognize oh this is planning dukkha and i feel 
the suffering of grasping after a future that isn't actually present. That contraction, that grasping after the future is the suffering because there's craving there's in, that's present in the restless mind. And I like to drop into that feeling of recognizing the suffering, the unsatisfactoriness, so that I take the opportunity to simply learn about dukkha, to learn about suffering. I was on one retreat when that was led by Joseph Goldstein, and he was asked a question in a question and answer session. And the question was, is planning always suffering? The answer was yes. He said, the problem with planning comes when we don't remember it is a thought. We create a thought bubble, a mind world, and we get lost in it without recognizing that it is only a thought. When we don't recognize that it's a thought, it is suffering. It is possible to plan very useful things in life. But even But if we do that without recognizing that it's a thought, we will be perpetuating ignorance and suffering. It's very easy to get wound up and emotional about our plans. We can even um, have, you know, plan something and have a whole emotional response to it, even though it's just a fantasy, you know. We plan something and we get excited about it. It's a whole emotional response. We plan something, and in our plans, it doesn't quite turn out right, because sometimes we don't plan success. Sometimes we'll even plan failure. And then we can feel sad, and we can feel disappointed, and we can feel upset. They're just thoughts. Chinul said, Don't be afraid of your thoughts. Only take care, lest your awareness of them is tardy. Now, even though I've been speaking about planning as suffering, we have to plan things, right? You couldn't have come here tonight if you didn't plan enough to put gas in your car, right? I remember reading an article some years ago that every year, 3,000 cars run out of gas on the Bay Bridge, That's a lot of people who didn't plan to put gas in their car because it's not that big a bridge. I mean, it's a big bridge, but that's a lot. That's a lot. Planning is responsible. Preparation is responsible. We need to coordinate our activities with our friends and our family. If we don't plan meals and nobody decides to go shopping, we're not going to eat well. You know, maybe that's snacky food all the time, but how many evenings can you eat popcorn for dinner and not think maybe I should have planned to go buy some vegetables? Planning helps in relationships because if we don't make plans together with the people that we do activities with, then it's very easy to just um, uh, always be manipulated or be manipulating others and not just sit down and just make some plans and discuss and decide what we're going to do and do it together without having to always be jumping with the last minute impulses of people. 
It's also very skillful to use plans to set our goals, to vision a direction for our activities, for our work, for our careers, for our lives, to make a financial plan, to respond to things in a way that organizes our activity in a somewhat reasonable and um, effective way. We can plan... um, When we plan the necessary things, one of the guidelines that um, I like to use is to plan in near time frames or or small measures so that we're not planning something way out in the distant future before we've actually been able to see more of the causes and conditions that are going to build up to that. But to just plan what needs to be planned. Now... um, It can be interesting to see when the mind skips ahead and it's, then it's really restlessness. I was on one retreat and my, my mind was restless and I recognized it not first from the energy of restlessness. The first thing I recognized was that the content of the planning was what I was going to teach in Europe next year. I don't need to plan something next year. I wasn't planning what I was going to teach the day after the retreat or the week after the retreat, the mind had jumped way ahead. And so by the content of it, I was able to recognize, whoa, this is not needed now, and kind of uh, turn my attention back to feel the restlessness, to recognize the hindrance, and to come back into the present moment. So sometimes we can even use the content and sort of the absurdity of the plan in order to... um, to uh, catch what's happening in the mind. Whatever it is that we plan, whether even the practical things, we'll need some equanimity to accept whatever the results are. Much of what occurs is quite beyond our control. And beyond what we could even conceive of or create through our plans. Sometimes, also, our plans are foiled again and again. And this can be a good thing, because we might take the opportunity to just let go and to experience a simple humility and faith that responds to the present moment just as it is. With our plans thwarted, we might be reminded of anicca, impermanence, of dukkha, suffering, and of anatta, not-self. And between our plans, between our projections, beyond our thoughts, we might find the capacity that we all have to just rest with a peaceful awareness as life unfolds. Let's have a moment of two of silence together, please.
I'd like to end with the reading from the middle-length discourses, the Sutta, A Single Excellent Night. Let me not revive the past, nor on the future build my hopes, for the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know it and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come, who knows. No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night, it is she, the peaceful sage has said, who has had a single excellent night. Well, I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. It was lovely to see you here. Have a safe drive home. <laughs>